Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. It's good to be with you. It was a, a really nice, beautiful June day in 1995. Julia and I were six months married and about to take up leading the South Congregation. And this was our first Sunday. So we wanted it to be a great kickoff. The South had been meeting for a number of months beforehand without us, trying to figure out who their pastor was going to be. And uh, they finally took us on. And so this was our first Sunday morning. And we gathered everybody together. We hired a gym in South St. Vitale. And this was going to be the great moment when it all began. The problem was we all showed up. And it was very beautiful. But the janitor didn't. And so we were all stood outside, thankfully in the nice warm weather, trying to find someone with a key to let us in. It was a very auspicious start to life in the South Congregation. But uh, since then, we had a wonderful 10 years here in the South, and uh, it was just such a privilege to serve here together with Julia and to see our girls. They were all born into the South, and they all hold this place very fondly uh, in their heart, all of you. So it's great to be back with you today, and Norm is up at Panet Road speaking, so I'm sure Norm's enjoying that, and they're enjoying him too uh, as well. And uh, we appreciate, do keep us in your prayers, I know you are, but keep us in your prayers as we go through uh, what we're doing at the moment in terms of expansion. As you may or may not know, we're actually planting two church uh, plants, congregational plants, out of the Panet Road congregation. So uh, uh, that's where it currently looks at the moment. Ken and Fiona planting something on Colsbeck, right next to us, where we are right now, where um, Harold and Wendy have got forever families, those of you who know Harold and Wendy. And then Julia and I are taking a church plant over the other side of the river into West St. Paul. So um, it's just a little thing. Hopefully, somebody will give us the key this time, and we'll be able to get in. (laughs) Anyway, we'd appreciate your prayers. I'm sure you're following all of that as we're uh, doing it together. And of course, the school is right in the middle of all of that. The school is uh, the biggest ministry of of Gateway Church, and uh, it's just great to have been able to host the school for so many years, and to see that moved over to the other side of the river as well is a big challenge, as one of our school board members will tell you. But the Lord is with us, which is just as well. We're starting a series, as Aaron said, on uh, more than conquerors, more than conquerors. And I'm going to preach this morning, my message is five characteristics of a conquering community. Five characteristics of a conquering community, and I'm going to take that out of Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, that's good. If you don't have a Bible with you, the words are going to be up in the screen in the moment, and I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. But before we get to that chapter, let me give you a little bit of history around how this all comes about and what Paul is speaking into here when he speaks to the Roman church. To be a conqueror in Rome was the highest place that you could get in their uh, civilization. They had triumphs, what they called triumphs in Rome, that were to celebrate what the conquerors had done. And so if you had taken an army somewhere and you had defeated an enemy and you had brought back um, lots of slaves and lots of treasure and, and you'd been able to take captive the cities and the people you were fighting against, sometimes the Senate in Rome would give you a triumph. And a triumph was a huge occasion. They would bring you through the streets of Rome 
In front of you were all the slaves and all the goodies that you'd taken from the countries that you had just defeated. And then the uh, conqueror would come, riding on his chariot with four horses often in front of them, except once um, one of these guys decided he'd do it a little differently, and he had four elephants pulling his chariot, which was a very um, powerful statement of intent until he came to one of the marble arches that their elephants couldn't fit through. So they had to take the elephants off and put horses on, much to the joy of his political opponents uh, in Rome at the time. But it was an, an occasion that went on probably for a day, sometimes for two days, sometimes for three days. It took that long for the whole procession to get all the way through Rome. And behind the Roman emperor and, or the Roman uh, general with his chariot was all his men walking behind. They'd go all the way through Rome. There'd be festivals. There'd be food, free food for the people. Massive celebration. They'd bring it all up to the temple of Jupiter and they would sacrifice two white oxen uh, in the temple of Jupiter and may even declare the conqueror a god. And so the people of Rome had these triumphs maybe two or three times in a lifetime. And we know there was one uh, in AD 43. Claudius had just defeated most of Britain. And so to celebrate the defeat of the Brits, they brought him back through Rome and they gave him a triumph. And he gave his generals, a couple of them, a smaller version of a triumph in years that followed. But these people in Rome grew up understanding what that meant. And many of them who got this letter, a matter of 10 10 years or so later, would have seen Claudius' triumph themselves. They would have seen the tremendous celebration that was put on for this man who the Roman Empire deemed to be a conqueror. That's the context of the verses that we're going to read today out of Romans chapter 8. So let's read them together, beginning to read at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We regard it as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Five characteristics from this passage of a conquering community. First of all this. A conquering community believes the Bible above every other influence. I've explained what a conqueror would be in the minds of the Romans to whom Paul is writing. So put yourself in their shoes. They get this letter and it tells them that they are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loved them. I would imagine when they read that letter, many of them would have thought, Right. 
We don't feel like more than conquerors at all. In fact, to be a Christian in Rome meant that you were part of what they thought was a sect or a cult that was despised in Rome. It was despised because they had different beliefs and they wouldn't go to the religious festivals of the Romans. They were despised because they did weird things like greet each other with a holy kiss. And so for many people in Rome, they thought they were an incestuous cult. They were despised because they would not bow down and call Caesar Lord. And so to the Roman people, the Christians were a weird cult that actually were very un-Roman. They weren't people who they were almost traitors to them because they wouldn't stand up alongside the rest of Rome and do what the rest of Rome did. Hardly a way of thinking of yourself as a conqueror when that's how your life is. And if they knew anything of the man who was writing the letter, they would have even more reason to question the use of the word conqueror. Paul described his life and those of his fellow Christians as one of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. They were being killed all the day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Hardly a recipe for feeling like a conqueror. So the question for these early, question, early Christians receiving this letter is this. Who do they believe? Do they believe what their experience tells them is true? Do they believe what the world around them says is true about who they are? Or do they choose to believe against all worldly wisdom what the Holy Spirit is telling them through the Apostle Paul? Many of them chose to believe what Paul was saying, and I'm sure it encouraged them at this point in their lives, but in a few years, as we'll see in a moment, it might even save them. We all need objective truth. Something or someone speaking to us from outside of our lives and perspective and telling us what is real. What is true about this world, what is true about us, what is true about the God who created it. And that's what the Bible is. In our world, it ought to be the greatest and the first wonder of the world. A physical book written to us by God through the Holy Spirit, inspiring people to write from cover to cover the Word of God. And in it is the truth, the truth about our lives, the truth about who we are, the truth about our world, and the truth about the God who created it. And it's especially important when we live in a world where the God of this world is called the father of lies. He doesn't tell the truth. He tells twisted versions of the truth. And he spins his lies all over the world. He will spin them into governments. He will spin them into media. He will spin them into entertainment. And he will spin them into the lives and hearts and minds of the church if we will let him. Because all he can do is lie. And he fills this world with lies. And so it's very important as people of God, that as a primary tool in our toolkit, we have learn, read, meditate, digest the Word of God. Do we feel stuck in our lives that we're not going to be able to get past this mountain that stands before us? The Bible says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Who do we believe? 
Do we feel that our lives are always going to be stumbling over things? We're going to stumble our way through tomorrow and the next day and the next day. We're never going to be able to stand up and walk straight. The Bible says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Who do we believe? Do we feel that sin will always master us? Luke 1, 21 tells us, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Who do you believe? Do you feel like a conqueror today? As a man, woman, young person, do we think we're conquerors? Does the world think we're conquerors? So how do we know we're conquerors? Because the Bible tells us so. That's it. And the Bible doesn't just tell us that we're conquerors, but it tells us that we are more than conquerors. Conquerors plus. That's one word in the Greek. And a more than a conqueror wasn't someone who had just gone and defeated people in battle and taken away a few slaves, but a more than conqueror was a person who'd gone into battle and utterly destroyed his enemies so that they would never be able to rise against him again to defeat him. That is what a more than conqueror is. And Paul, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to this Roman church, a sect, outcasts, people nobody wanted to be associated with or talk to, and said, you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A conquering community is a people who choose to believe the word of God, even when everything in their emotions and experience in the world tells them the opposite. Secondly, a conquering community believes that the primary land they need to conquer is inside, not outside. This is written to the people in Rome the center of the greatest conquering force of their era. They had an understanding of what conquering meant. It meant going into someone else's territory, defeating them in battle, and taking their stuff. That's what conquering meant. It meant conquering other people, conquering other nations, conquering things outside. But Paul is not talking about that sort of conquering, although unfortunately the church down the ages didn't always get that. Paul's not talking about going off and conquering other people and taking their lands and their stuff. He doesn't say to them, over all these things we are more than conquerors. Above all these things we are more than conquerors. Over everybody else we're more than conquerors. He doesn't say those things. He doesn't even say, over all your circumstances we are more than conquerors. He says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. In other words, your circumstances may not change. But you can still be a conqueror in those circumstances. He's talking to them firstly about conquering what's in here, not trying to conquer what's going on out here. Seven years later, after they received this letter, the Emperor Claudius is dead. And the person who's taken over as emperor is his adopted uh, heir, Nero. Nero was not a nice man. And in A.D. 64, Rome burnt. Huge amount of Rome uh, was burnt down. Tragic. Lots of terrible loss in lots of ways. People blamed Nero for the fire, and Nero decided he needed a scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians. And a terrible persecution broke out against the Christian church in Rome. 
they did some terrible things to them. They cut off animal skins and they put the animal skins on the Christians and they threw them out into the theater and let dogs on them until they killed them. Nero put them up on lampstands and set them alight in his gardens to light up his garden parties at night. If you go on the internet, you'll find people out there that say these things didn't happen. You'll probably find they're the same people that say that the Holocaust never happened either. These things did happen. That doesn't sound like being a conqueror, does it? It doesn't sound like conquering your outside world. In fact, it feels like the exact opposite. It feels like they're being conquered by the outside world. But something happened during those atrocities which caught the attention of the Roman citizens. It was something about the way that these Christians suffered. Something about the way that they died. Seneca, an inhabitant of Rome, wrote to his friend a year or two later to encourage him to bear up under a sickness. He was referring to Christians, and this is what he wrote. What are your sufferings compared with the flames? He had a very pastoral heart, you could tell. What are your sufferings compared to the flames and the cross and the rack and the nameless tortures that I have watched men endure without shrinking, without a complaint, without a groan? And as if all this quiet endurance and brave patience was not sufficient, I have seen these victims even smile in their great agony. The people Paul is talking to are not conquering the way the world understands conquering. They're not mostly living highly successful lives in the eyes of the world, parts of big massive churches and ministries and large congregations. and Nothing wrong with those things. But these people lived well, they suffered well, and they died well. In the midst of terrible persecution, and the primary land they were conquering was not out there, It was in here, and in here, it was inside. And as a result of the way that these people conquered, public opinion began to change towards them. Many people had a whole fresh respect for these Christians who would not say that Caesar was Lord and bow to their gods, even though it cost them their lives. Other cultural beliefs were also challenged. Women were seen almost on the same level as slaves. But an amazing thing happened when they dragged these women, Christian women, into the theaters. And when they persecuted them too. And the slaves that were dragged in, the Christian slaves. They discovered that the women and the slaves suffered and died as nobly, as honorably, as courageously, as miraculously as the men did. And it changed how the Romans viewed women in their culture. And how the Romans viewed slaves in their culture. They were not able in many instances to conquer their circumstances. But they did conquer themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit in those circumstances. We have, as Aaron was saying, over 100 men signed up for our conquer series. We're not out to conquer the world. We're out to conquer ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll influence our world in a much greater way when the light in us is shining as brightly as God wants it to be. A conquering community believes the Bible above every influence and a conquering community believes that the primary land they need to conquer is inside, not outside. Thirdly, a conquering community believes that we conquer together, not on our own. Paul encourages them that we are more than conquerors. He doesn't say individually, you, you, you are more than conquerors. He says we together are more than conquerors. 
these hundred men that are going through the conquer series. They're not going to conquer on their own. They're going to need help. We're putting people into teams and groups to help each other. But then they come back into normal life and they're going to need help. They're going to need help from wives and sisters and daughters and friends. Those of you who went to the Blueprints, ladies, I don't know how many went to the Blueprints series, but you went through a book. I've been reading through that book. It talks about Azares, women who are rising up to be, take their place. Uh, in the kingdom of God and what God's called them to be. And, and every man that is going through a conquer series needs people to rise up alongside who will stand with and help and support. A week ago, I'd been up in the night a couple of weeks ago, and I'd been worrying and praying, which means that I was doing a lot of worrying and not a lot of praying. But I was praying, or trying to. And uh, so I came back to bed after a couple of hours, and there's a lot of things going on in the church, and Julia sort of heard me come back into bed, and so she said, you know, what's going on? And, and I told her what was going on, and it was a pretty sad tale. I don't know whether you tell your wife sad tales in the middle of the night, but sometimes I tell sad tales. And so Julia, she was half asleep, but she said, listen, you knew what this was going to be like when you came back from your sabbatical, right? You knew what we were coming into. You knew what we were going to be part of. But you know that God's called us to this. You knew there was going to be warfare. You need to expect it. You need to stand up in it. She puts a hand on my head. She prays for me, and then she goes off to sleep. Yeah. I turned over, and I went back to sleep into a deep sleep, and my last thought was, I got a great wife. Because we can't conquer on our own, right? We need each other to help each other. And to rise up and to speak strength into each other. And yep, we need arms around each other to, to, to encourage each other when we're suffering, we're going through things. But we also need to encourage each other in the Lord and move people forward in their faith and in God. You might be here today and thinking, oh, well, I don't have a spouse who, who's by me in the night. I, I don't have somebody in the morning I wake up with. I don't have family around me. You know, as a Christian, you have the greatest azare that there is. The Holy Spirit. He walks with you all day and all night. He will be with you when everybody else is asleep. He will stand by your side when everybody else is gone. And if we learn to hear his voice, which is part of this hearing God thing that Kevin was encouraging to us, and he will speak to us all the time and encourage our souls. And I want to encourage you, if you're not part of a cell group, become part of a cell group. Get around people who are going to pray for you and stand with you. And, and, and find a prayer partner. That's something else you can do. Somebody who will be with you and stand alongside. A conquering community knows that we conquer together, not on our own. Fourthly, a conquering community keeps its eyes on their conquering king. Paul says that we are more than conquerors through him. We were talking a couple of weeks ago at Panet Road about the Israelites coming over the Jordan and into the promised land. Behind Jericho and the great walls of Jericho is all the wonderful promises that God has for them. And they have a number of challenges in front of them and changes that are going on with them at the same time. One of the changes was they had a new leader. And so they have now got Joshua and Moses has passed on. But Joshua very quickly finds out that he really isn't the new leader after all if he had any question about it beforehand. Because before the walls of Jericho, when he's wondering how on earth he's going to break through the obstacles that stand against him, he meets someone. 
This someone looks like a man, but he's not a man. He's got a sword raised in his hand. And he calls himself the commander of the army of the Lord. But he's not an angel. Because when Joshua bows down before him to worship him, this person doesn't stop him, which an angel would have done. And in the next chapter, the Bible tells us very clearly that this is the Lord. And the Lord speaks to Joshua, and he gives him all that Joshua needs in terms of strategy for breaking through Jericho and conquering the land. And that is the person who Paul is referring to when he says we are more than conquerors through him. He is still the commander of the army of the Lord. And when he saw us in our great distress, when he saw us hopeless and helpless against everything that stands against our freedom and our joy and our peace and our eternal blessing with God, the sin that's within each one of us that cuts us off from God, that hurts our own lives, that hurts the people around us, that leaves us in a place of being guilty before a righteous God. The enemy, the devil and his hordes that are out to get and steal and kill and destroy whatever they can. And above us, a God righteous through whom, before whom we stand guilty and worthy of punishment and death. When this commander of the Lord saw our state and how hopeless we were at just the right time, he rode into battle for you and me. He didn't come on a horse with a sword drawn. He came into a little cradle, a little manger in Bethlehem, born as the poorest of the poor, and lived among us a sinless and a spotless life and died on a cross to take away our sins, your sin, my sin. That was how he conquered He conquered not by holding on to his life and preserving his life and trying to keep himself going. He conquered by giving up his life, by laying down his life. That is how he became more than a conqueror. And lying in the grave, the enemy thought he was done. The Romans thought he was done. The religious leaders thought he was done. The representative of the emperor thought he was done and he would never rise again. But God saw him, the father saw him, and knew all that he had done, and because he had laid his life down, even to death and death on a cross, he decided that he would give him the greatest triumph that the world has ever seen. And so he broke him up out of the grave, crushing darkness as he came out to thunderbolts and lightning, raised up through the heavens, taking captivity captive, going through the gates of heaven itself, being given the place that's the highest place above every other name, above every other ruler and authority, from where he still reigns and rules today until the point in time when the trumpet's going to sound and he's going to get on his horse one last time and he's going to ride down through the heavens with the armies of heaven behind him to take those of us to himself who know him and who love him and to bring justice to the rest of the world. He is still the army, the leader and the commander of the army of the Lord. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah as well as the lamb of God. And we, it says, are more than conquerors through him. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, Paul says in verse 34. Who is it that overcomes the world, John says? In 1 John 5, accept the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
as we continue on into this season that God's got us, got us into, as men look at things in their lives that need sorting out, and you can freak out sometimes. You can think the walls are so big in front of us. The enemies are so strong. There's no way through. There's no way past this gate. And everything that's good lies on the other side, and there's no hope of me getting through. Let me encourage you this morning to get your eyes on the conquering king. He is still the commander of the army of the Lord, and nothing can stand against him. How does that work for us? How does that work in our lives? A few weeks ago, I was um, wrestling with some thoughts, some temptations, dark thoughts, and the usual ways I was I'd used to com- combat those things wasn't working. And I was sitting, we get together on a Wednesday, uh, pastors and leaders, Dave's there, we confess our sins and whatever. And so I was confessing out the temptations I was wrestling with and saying, I'm not, they're not going away in the way that they normally do. And so they were encouraging me, use scripture, conquering community, believes the Bible, use scripture. And, and uh, Ron reminded me of a particular scripture out of Philippians 4 verse 8. And I have not memorized that scripture. I tried to memorize it a few years ago. Maybe I've forgotten it or whatever. But there is a song uh, that is out of that scripture. And now when things come back to me again in the same way, I sing this song. Whatever is true. It's a Brian Dirksen song. I said it was a Mary song last week. I thought it was Mary's song for years, but it turns out it's Brian Dirksen. So, <laughs> whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, we will fix our thoughts on these things. And if it's Scripture... It begins to get into our spirit. It's going to turn our gaze towards our conquering king. Jesus, you're pure. Jesus, you're right. Jesus, you're true. You are lovely. We will fix our thoughts. On you, and I can tell you that over these last few weeks, as I've been singing this song in my head, by this point, whatever was dark, whatever was holding on, whatever looked like an immovable object, that thing is long gone. And I'm beginning to fly. I'm beginning to find an atmosphere that is not that dark, depressed, down atmosphere that I was living in before. It's the atmosphere of heaven where we are supposed to live as people who are born again of the Spirit of God. And I'm away. Jesus, who is like you? I was in a doctor's office singing this song in my head. Tears streaming down my face. I'm gone. I have no idea what the people around me thought. They must have thought I was in real pain and I needed to see the doctor really quick. Well, I was seeing the doctor and I was getting cured right there and then. Because Jesus is the best doctor of them all. A conquering community believes the Bible above every other influence. A conquering community believes that the primary land they need to conquer is, not, is inside, not outside. And a conquering community believes that we conquer together, not on our own. Finally, you've done really well. You've stuck with me. Finally, a conquering community believe that they are loved by God. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
Paul says. And he goes on, I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. A Roman triumph was the greatest accolade of the day. Being called a more than conqueror was the highest you could be called. What are the great accolades of today? Nobel Prizes, Oscars, Booker Prizes, Emmys, the title of the richest person in the world, the strongest person, the fastest, the cleverest, the president of the most powerful country in the world. There's something greater than them all. There's a position that is greater than them all. More soul-satisfying, more eternally relevant, more conquering, and that is to be loved by God, to be called beloved of God. I was thinking about this when I was praying about what the Lord wanted to say, and there's a, a lovely picture in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. Ruth was a, uh, seemed like a good woman in many ways, but she got to this point in her life, they've come back into Israel, they're they're um, struggling, Ruth and her mother-in-law. They've got nothing. They've lost everything. Uh, and she's been out trying to get, um, sort of gather up some scraps from the side of the field to keep a family going. And she goes in one night to where this man, Boaz, who owns these fields that she's been in, is sleeping. And if you know the story, she goes up to Boaz and she lies at his feet. And basically what she's saying is, Boaz, I want to choose you to be my covering here. I want to come under your covering. In the middle of the night, Boaz can feel something down by his feet. And he looks up and he sees that it's Ruth. And so in one of those wonderful moments in the Bible, he takes his cloak and he spreads his cloak out over her. Which means now she's safe. Now she's loved. Now she has a place. Somebody's going to look after her for the rest of her days. God is in the process of spreading his cloak over you, over me, over people around us. You might not know Jesus here today. He loves you. And he wants to spread his cloak of love over you. You might think, I've messed up so many times. I've broken up so many times. I've done so many things wrong. Jesus is ready and willing to extend his cloak of love over you. And he's extending his cloak of love through us over others. Whatever's going on with Jason up in the par is Jesus extending his cloak over those beautiful people up there that need him so much. What's happening here in a hospital bed downtown? Is it Timbit or Twinkie? <laughs> Lillian. What's happening to Lillian as she lies there? I'll tell you what's happening. Jesus is extending his cloak. That's what's happening. Because he sees and he knows. What's happened when your EAL students come in here on a Sunday morning? There might be one, there might be two, there might be ten. Does it matter? These are people who Jesus is bringing. What's he doing? He's extending his cloak over these beautiful people who he loves with such a passion. 
and he wants to see them come to him. That's what Jesus is about. And the people who are more than conquerors understand that they live under that cloak. That's where they live. And it's a hiding place from the enemy. It's a sheltering place from the storms of life. It's the place of provision where God provides for us everything that we need. It's the place of strengthening and encouragement. Water that never runs dry. Bread that will never fail you. All found under the cloak of the love of God. Many Christians struggle to believe that. Do you struggle to believe that? I do. That I'm truly loved by God. Not because of anything I did. Not because I put two days together when I did my devotions properly in the morning. Therefore, I must be loved by God. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us because he loves us because we're his kids. He's always loved us from the beginning of time. And he's looking for every opportunity. And maybe for some of you right here this morning, this is your opportunity right now. He's looking for opportunities just to extend that cloak over you again. You might be a Christian. You might live under that cloak, but you just don't realize it sometimes. And today maybe is one of those days. I really do not feel loved by God. Can I pray for you? Lord, would you extend that cloak right now? Lord, if there are hearts that are crying out today, Lord, maybe there are some of them that are in our children's ministry. Maybe there's some of the children. Lord, your cloak extends. Would you extend the cloak of your love, the revelation that we have a Father in heaven who loves us so incredibly, so passionately, so strongly? that you came and sent your one and only Son, the greatest gift that you have. And, and Romans 8 tells us, Lord, if you've already given up the greatest thing that you have, he who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him give us all things? Lord, you're going to take care of things for us. Lord, even if it means that everything around us is crumbling. Lord, Lord these Christians could have stood up and said, well, what's going on? God isn't taking care of stuff. Look at all the bad things that are happening around me. They're, I'm not more than a conqueror. I'm conquering nothing. But Lord, thankfully, by your grace, you'd already written to them this word. Seven years. They had seven years to get it into their system. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, I pray that word would get into our system today. That whatever's going on in our circumstances around us, whatever waves are coming, Lord, whatever storms are passing by, that we can come in under the cloak of your incredible and failing, everlasting love. And when we get into there, Lord, when we get under that place of your covering grace, we know the truth of this. We really are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Lord, do that for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.